0: Are you calling me a liar? (laughs) This is one of the things that liars always say. Why? Because you're accusing them of lying, the very same thing that they're actually doing. Now, this is one of the topics that everybody likes to talk about. He's a truth speaker. He's the truth. He's this. But the reality is it's only a matter of time before the rotten lie comes out. Why is lies called rotten? Uh, Whereas truth is not called uh, something fresh. Why is lies rotten. Why did the Vida Melech tell Hashem that he hates lies and he abhors them? It's disgusting to him. But at the same time, he also says to Hashem, please save me, save my soul from these liars. Oh, you hate them, then why do I need to save you from them? Even more so, you see that the sages try to look for different ways to make Judaism easier for us, to make Judaism something that we could all follow, to make Judaism something that we all loved. But yet when it came to the issues of lies, they were much more strict about. When it came to the issues of truth, it's simply the signature of God. All of these things need to be understood. We first need to identify what is a lie before we start realizing that we want the truth. This and much more is going to be discussed tonight... You're going to look at lies in a completely different way after you know a little bit more from a Torah's perspective and how to apply it to your day to day life in the world of lies. Call Tuv, enjoy, share, and make sure to remember be holy. We are starting a new week, starting a new month to everybody. Continuing our series of Jewish ideology, we're actually starting a new segment in the book tonight. Shu will be for the refuash shlemah uh, for uh, Rabbanit uh, Sarah Bat uh, Levanah, uh, Sarah bat Anat, uh, Rav Ephraim Ben Shulamit, Rabbanit Levana Bat uh, Sarah, Avi Mori David Ben Esriya, Imi Morati Doris Bat Jora, and also for the Atzlah uh, Haraba and. Uh, extraordinary uh well-being for all of the uh people that are watching people that are supporting people that are part of our organization uh behind the scenes uh because seriously the uh that hashem gives us to speak to tell you guys uh what hashem said to tell you guys what the torah says uh is is in your merit uh, you know more than anything else so uh tonight we're going to uh start a new segment in the series where uh, after talking about uh, extensively, and uh, as you've seen anyone that's been watching the last 90 or so lectures uh, in the series, uh, knows that the chazonish literally goes segment to segment trying to remove different negative traits uh, that we have, uh, first and foremost by identifying them, identifying the negative trait, identifying the, the flaw, that uh, you could literally have in you, uh, we could all have in us, uh, without even really recognizing that it's so bad. Uh, I don't think there is a a number of times that I can count uh, that would be enough to tell you how many people have uh, told me and have sent me messages uh, of how they didn't know that what they were doing was so bad until they heard the chazanish talk about it, until they heard the sages talk about it. And really, uh clarify uh just how bad is uh, is, is the situation a person could simply live their life thinking that what they're doing perhaps is uh not so bad and sometimes thinking that okay perhaps it's not great but it's not uh as uh as bad as what they hear uh once they really uh think put some more thought into it like the sages have so uh tonight we're getting into a new segment this is chapter four segment number 13 and uh the chazanish identifies one of my favorite topics, and I think it's a topic that needs to be a favorite among all people, uh, especially if somebody wants to uh, follow uh, Hashem, follow the Torah. This is really uh, irreplaceable, uh, and it's a topic of truth. Uh, everyone today claims to be a truth teller. Everyone today, you know, in politics or in, in media, uh, in uh, in religion, everyone claims to uh, have the truth, but rarely do you ever hear. People talk about the uh, attribute of lies, simply the uh, the price you pay for lies, and this is in essence one of the first things that a person has to uh, uh, discuss before even going into the topic of telling the truth. A person has to be aware of what's the price of lies. Like, you know, can a person continue to live life and expect a good life while being a liar? Can a person simply ignore the fact that, you know, some things that he says or she says is true, and some things that he says or she says is a little bit of a fib, a little bit of a lie. Can we afford to live a life of lies? That's, in essence, one of the things that uh, we have to uncover. Before we even go into the topic of, of, of truth and really what is true, where do you find truth? So the Chazonish begins by saying, it's right to discuss the issue of the correct trait of truth versus the rotten trait of falsehood for the sages were extremely stringent in particular about this matter the depravity of falsehood is widespread and the damage it causes is immense so already the uh the chazonish is in essence telling us first and foremost you have to understand that there is not just a difference between truth and falsehood, whether truth is the right thing to do and falsehood is the wrong thing to do. Here he identifies by the choice of words that if you're saying the truth, you don't need to uh, expect any award. You don't need to expect any credit. You're simply doing the right thing, the correct thing to do. On the other hand, a person that lives a life of falsehood, a person that even speaks falsehood just, you know, once in a while, needs to know that the trait of falsehood is a rotten trait. And the sages were very stringent about this matter, and this is not something that you hear often. You know, many times people that are not familiar with Judaism and have not really uh you know learned to God. they think that you know there are so many rules it's too much stringency not realizing that the laws that you're complaining about are the laws of god the one that actually created the world so if you have a problem with god then perhaps you should stop taking the things that he gives you like your air and uh your your vision your hearing your ability to procreate your ability to uh, produce anything in life you just you know you give him back what he gives you and you won't have to follow the rules So many times people think, oh no, the rabbis made it up, the rabbis are too stringent. What what they don't realize is that we have 613 laws from the Torah, most of which are not applicable today simply because we don't have the Betamikdash. So many of them are are only applicable at the time of the Betamikdash. Many of them are not applicable to people because you have to be a Kohen for them to be applicable to you. Many of them are not applicable to people because it's not for all genders. Some rules are just for men. Some rules are just for women. And it's completely unacceptable for people to say that they were born a man, but really inside they're a woman. This is not an acceptable belief or, or a reality in the world of Judaism and the world of truth. So LGBTQB is not something that any aspect of, uh, of, of Judaism would ever expect. Anyone that tells you otherwise is simply, you know, Uh, living a, a false life that's in essence a different religion now this doesn't mean that people don't feel certain ways of course there are things that lead to that which we'll discuss at another time but the point being is is that a person has to know that there is a difference between truth and falsehood truth is the right thing to do when you're saying the truth you're simply doing what you're supposed to be doing if you're saying lies then you are a in essence practicing something that is considered rotten why is it considered rotten because it's when it's true it is always going to be true the truth never changes the truth is the truth whether you believe it or you don't believe it the fact that there is a god is true and whether you believe in god or you don't believe in god doesn't change the existence of god the fact that the torah is true is going to stay true regardless of whether people follow it or people don't follow it. The truth doesn't change based on what people perceive it as or based on what people think it is, based on whether people like it. The truth is simply immovable. On the other hand, lies are rotten. Why are they rotten? Because lies, over time, they go down and they become more and more rotten. And you start seeing how what was perceived as true and fooled many people little by little it rots little by little it deteriorates little by little people uncover the real falsehood that was portrayed as if it's true whether it was things about what's happening in the world today with the viruses with the uh uh you know the so-called cures the vaccines the government the leadership who's telling the truth who's a liar who's a bigger liar who's the lesser of two evils all of the things that people like to talk about and make a million and a half different videos on and in essence waste their lives uh, following and saying these are things that people are you know quickly finding that they're false what they thought was true A year ago two years ago five years ago they're quickly finding out that it's false and the only thing that they have in their mind is how did i not realize this five years ago how did i not realize that this is a lie two years ago because now that you finally realized that what you what you believed is false it's so simple it's so simple it's like for example somebody that has never seen the the sky and you know you tell him listen it's blue he doesn't know what blue is it's a uh, you know a blue it's somewhat similar to green he has no idea what green is why he's never seen the sky he's never seen the colors he's never seen anything but once you show him what the color blue actually looks like and he's able to see it even if you try to manipulate it and try to change it and try to tell him no no it's really red or it's really uh, uh purple He's not, simply, it's impossible for him to believe you. Why? Because once you see the truth, it's immovable, it's irreplaceable. It's something that cannot change under any circumstance. Falsehood, on the other hand, is something that you can play with like putty. You can play with it, and you can move it, and you can maneuver it, and you can, in essence... Alter it based on the audience, based on the times. And unfortunately, this is one of the things that people don't realize about politicians, regardless of who the politician is, whether he's an American politician, African politician, a Jewish politician. If you're a politician, in essence, what what your profession is, is to manipulate the falsehood in order to make people believe that it's true, in such a fashion that it will serve your purposes and as soon as it no longer serves your purposes you will maneuver it again in order to say this is really what you meant and maneuver it again and unfortunately fool more people to follow you this is why we always tell people don't waste your time with news with media with a uh uh uh, even the so-called conspiracy channels All of those things are a complete waste of time because each and every single one of them has a truth that is based on agendas, that is based on self-interest, that is based on profits. It's not based on actual truth. So this is why you see them over time changing what they used to say is true into a new truth and another truth and another truth. But if it was true, then it can't change. So how could it change oh that means you were lying this whole time and now you expect me to believe that this time is true so you see little by little the falsehood is simply something they have to live with if they're in that type of uh, 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 world on the other hand in the world of Torah this truth came from God so he doesn't change he doesn't have a, uh, 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 any self-interest. He doesn't have any benefit. The truth is simply for you to either follow or to ignore at your own risk at your own price. And therefore, if somebody is living a life, a life of falsehood, they will see that that falsehood little by little will deteriorate and little by little become more apparent that there's something wrong. And every time I talk to people that come from different religions initially and want to start following uh, Judaism, I always, you know, get whenever I get a chance, I ask them, how did you realize that Christianity or Islam or whatever other religions they have, how did you realize it's false? And they always tell me, well, you know what? I never really completely believed it. I never really completely followed it. I always had a question, but no one gave me an answer. So inside each and every single one of us is the spark of truth is something that's yearning for the truth is something that knows the truth but unfortunately if you don't take advantage of that inner trait that god gave you you're going to be left with questions your whole life you're going to be left with doubt your whole life and you're going to be left with false beliefs your whole life And that's one of the major differences that was astounding to me when we first started learning Torah, when we first started doing everything, is that unlike everything else in the world, whether it be finance or business or different religions, where questions, generally speaking, you know, even if they tell you, listen, you could ask whatever you want, they don't really mean it. They just tell you, listen, ask one or two questions, give me whatever I want from you and go away. Don't ask me questions forever. You know, there's a limit. In Judaism, there is no limit the entire torah is actually obligating us to ask questions but also to look for those answers inside the Torah because if a person really wants to know the truth they have to look for it they can't just expect everything to be given to them on a silver platter so the uh, the Torah tells us first and foremost that if you have something that's truly true it will not change it will not change over time it will not change in different places it will not change a circumstance falsehood on the other hand will rot it will rot over time and you will see this time and time again perhaps we'll speak about it more extensively later on where you see certain people say something to people and make people believe that whatever they're saying is true and then later on they start changing what they used to say, and when someone questions them about what they said, either they say, well, uh, you know, uh, this is really what I meant. Or they say, are you sure that I said that? Are you really, are you calling me a liar? And they make the person feel guilty. You know, are you calling me with my position, with my power, and with my popularity a liar? As in, you know, are you questioning me? As if putting the onus on you, as if how could you possibly call me a liar? How could you possibly question me? altogether so this is obviously something that a person needs to understand needs to know that these things are going to happen and then later on you see of how the actual uh truth little by little comes out and hashem brings an extraordinary amount of embarrassment to those people it's only a matter of time truth will eventually come out it's just a matter of time it's a a lie doesn't uh doesn't uh have any uh, any hope for eternity a lie eventually comes out so with that being said the uh the chazonish says that the uh the right to discuss it's right to discuss the issue of, of, of the correct trait of truth versus the rotten trait of falsehood because our sages were extremely stringent about it what does it mean that they were stringent about it the stages Unlike what people think, as we started before, where people think that the sages are the ones that made up all of these laws, out of the 613 laws, that's all God. Most of which you can't, as I said, you can't apply to yourself. You're not a woman. You're not a queen. We don't have the Bet HaMikdash. The, the issues of, of sacrifices are not applicable to you at this point. But even if you include the laws that were brought up by the rabbis, you can actually count them in, Two hands seven laws that's what the sages brought and those laws actually happen to be the ones that people love the most laws like the holiday of puim the holiday of hanukkah the uh, you know these these things are beloved by everybody even secular people love those holidays so when people don't know what the truth is they can easily attack the truth thinking that the truth is a lie so it's important for a person to know that if you're going to say that the sages are stringent first and foremost identify who said it why they said it where their source is and why they're why do you think this is so stringent because generally speaking the sages were not stringent the sages were the opposite the sages were constantly looking for uh ways to help the public either fulfill the mitzvot even better in in an easier fashion to make them more uh not just relevant but more uh, uh easier to practice and also aside from that they're constantly looking for ways to minimize the sin this is also one of the reasons why we have the law of muktzeh that the sages implemented the law of muktzeh is one of the things we uh we have on shabbat where the sages know that if somebody violates one of the 39 Melachot of Shabbat that the Torah commands, then it's a death penalty. Now, even though we don't have a Sanhedrin anymore, there's uh, the Gemara in the Yerushalmi and also in the Bavli in multiple places, in Masekhet Sanhedrin in other places, discusses of how even though there's no longer a Sanhedrin that uh, kills people that violate Shabbat or practice idolatry and so on god obviously still implements these things in his own way in his own timing he doesn't kill somebody as soon as the guy smokes a cigarette on shabbat or drives on shabbat because that would eliminate free choice if every time a person you know uh, a jewish person turned on the car on shabbat the car would blow up this obviously would eliminate free choice because as soon as the public saw the second or third guy uh uh blow up on shabbat obviously nobody would uh, would even move out of their house so he has to el- uh, eliminate the, uh, he has to uh, allow free choice to be uh, 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 practiced in the world. But at the same token, many times you see people die younger than what the so-called average death rate is. You know, they say in, in America, the uh, the age, the lifetime for a person is, uh, is, is uh, rising. People are uh, living longer and longer. It's somewhere in the 70s, somewhere in the 70s. But the truth is, The longer you live the older you get the more you get to know more people that die much much younger than 70 or 75 or 80 years old in fact most of the people that you will know in your life will die much younger than that they may die when they're kids they may die when they're teenagers they may die in their 20s and 30s all types of sicknesses accidents tragedies of all kinds and literally, the older you get, the more you get to know more people that die. I know a bunch of people that died from just simply my high school class. And it's, you couldn't believe why. Wow, I can't believe so many people died in our class. I mean, there are 20, 25, 30, 35, all types of ages. And you can't believe how many people die. So, how does, why, why does this happen if the so called average death rate is 70 and 80 years old? Where, where are, what is all of this happening? Because in reality, Regardless of all the statistics and the studies that people like to uh, to, uh, to do, God is the only one that controls life and death. And this is also an answer to all of those people that think that science will somehow one day discover a way for you to live forever, a way for you to live until you're a thousand years old by putting your consciousness in some computer. This is all mumbo-jumbo nonsense. The only one that controls death is the one that controls life. You are here. Uh, because he puts you here and you'll be removed from here when he decides to remove you from here this is one of the things that a person needs to know is a fact that's part of the truth anyone that thinks otherwise is simply living an imaginary life in so many words a lie so the sages will constantly look for ways to try to protect the jewish people so they know that the truth is hashem will kill somebody at some point or another, if they do not fulfill this truth, he'll give them a ti- time, he'll give them chances, he'll give them opportunities. Whether he'll send them a nice, uh, uh, you know, video uh, called Hashem Took Back His Millions, or a USB, or a nice uh, YouTube link, or invite them to a lecture, or Hashem will do all types of things to get somebody's attention. But after a person rejects the truth multiple times, Hashem simply removes that person from the world whether it's through a car accident or a sickness or whatever it is Hashem has no end to the types of uh, uh, ways that he can do it the Gemara says there are over 900 ways that a person can die and it actually lists many of them all of them actually uh so the key is to know that the sages wanted to protect us so therefore they knew that if somebody violates Shabbat they're in essence putting their life on the line so what do they do they said listen let's try to make everyone one step removed from the sin so we'll put we'll implement something called muktzeh. what is muktzeh? we know that one of the 39 melachot is that you're not allowed to write or to erase so we'll make a law that you're not even allowed to touch a pen or any type of writing instrument why because if you don't touch it then obviously you're not going to write so The pen itself is, you know, it's not a violation to to hold a pen technically according to the Torah. But the sages implemented a law and said don't even touch the pen. Why? Lest you actually end up writing two letters or more and then you violate one of the 39 restrictions. So to put you one step away from the sin, they added this so-called stringency, but it's not really a stringency. It's a stringency for your own benefit. It's a stringency for your own protection. So this uh, uh, statement by the Chazonish. Where he says that the sages were very stringent in particular about the matters of truth and the matters of lies is an exceptional statement why because generally speaking they weren't stringent but when it comes to this they were why because the torah itself is stringent about it in fact in the uh uh in the book of genesis we see that who talks about truth countless times in fact in all five books of Moses it talks about a countless times in the books of uh, the writings it talks about a countless times the prophets it talks about a countless times some of the examples are that uh Yaakov Avinu Yaakov Avinu with the Torah says ishtam Yoshev o'alim what's ishtam Yosef o'alim now the simple translation of ishtam is like a simple person that is sitting in tents. That's the literal translation. Tam, the one of the ways that you can translate it is simple. So this could be a, a mistranslation. could be like uh, the, uh, you know, the Haggadah of Pesach had four sons. You, know, you had the, uh, the, uh, uh, the righteous son, the wicked son, the one that was simple, like a simpleton, and the one that didn't know how to ask. So you think, what? Wow, Yaakov, Vinu, was ishtam was a simpleton no Shalom. so how do we know that this tam is not referring to somebody that's a simpleton just because he's sitting in tents because we have to compare it to what the sages say how they actually uh 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 clarify it and define it and the way they say they say that tam means shalim tam means complete how do they know that tam means complete first we see in parashat noach Noach ish tzaddik tamim b'dorotav. Noach was was considered uh, ish tzadik tamim b'dorotav. He was an ish, which refers to a leader, like the Mishnah in Masechet Avot. anytime you see that uh, the uh, statement of the of the of the uh, statement in the Mishnah says ish, like Antigonosh, Ish Socho, what Antigonus was his name the man of Soho what do I need to know obviously I know that Antigonos is a man no so Antigonos, the leader of Soho but place called Soho so every time he mentions the word Ish it's referring to a leader so Noach Ish Sadiq Tamim so Noach was a Ish he was a leader he was a you know reputable person not just a nobody Tamim uh, Ish sadiq Tamim he was righteous and Tamim what's Tamim Tamim means complete complete with Hashem Whatever Hashem said, that's what he did. So that's one of the first places that you see in the Torah itself, how it's used. Another way you see what is the opposite? The opposite of Yaakov is Esav. Esav is described as Ish Yodeat Said Ish Sade. He was also a leader. He was also a leader of the wicked people, was a mafia boss. Ish Yodeat Said, he was a hunter, he knew how to hunt. Ish Sadeh, man of the fields now how is a sav that he knows tzai, that he knows okay i know that he's a hunter everybody's a hunter what, why do i need to know this there's no no it's not that he just knew how to hunt he knew how to hunt people he knew how to manipulate people he was like a nahash nahash is a snake he had a tattoo of a snake on his thigh and he was able to lie to people and manipulate the truth in such a fashion that you didn't even realize that he was lying to you just like he lied to his father about being righteous. So, Esav being the opposite of Yaakov, Esav being the Shakran, the Nachash, the lying snake, Yaakov is Ishtam. He was the leader that was righteous, that was honest. So, there we see one simple example in the Torah where Akadosh right off the bat, tells you, this is the good guy, that's the bad guy. What makes him a good guy? Because he sticks to the truth. What makes the other one a bad guy? He lies. Now, The truth is the yakut says that the the plan the plan or the possibility was that yaakov and esav were both supposed to be the fathers of israel each one was supposed to have six sons in order to have the 12 tribes that was the original plan that was the possibility and in fact the abilities of esav were superior to yaakov his neshama was able to actually generate even more than what yaakov was able to do but since esav chose the path of lies he lost everything and everything was given to yaakov so although they both grew up the same they went to the same school they even looked similar with the exception of one having red hair and the other one not having red hair they looked like two yeshiva bachurim two righteous people everyone thought they uh you know they were both going to be the the biggest rabbis in the world but once Esav got a little older got into his later teenage uh, life he became addicted to lies to the point where his whole life became one big lie hence the reason where once he uh got killed by the uh the son of Dan who chopped his head off only his head was buried in in the cave of Machpelah as it rolled in there and it buried exactly where it, where it rolled to and the rest of his body was left outside it wasn't buried in Malchabela. why because his head knew the truth but his body didn't follow it so here we see someone had the opportunity to be one of the forefathers of am israel one of the forefathers of the chosen people in fact the superior forefather out of the two but yet he lost everything why lies lies another place we see the prophet micha chapter 7 verse number 20 it says Titen emet give emet give truth to yaakov now of course give truth to yaakov but what is this emet chachamim say emet is referring to the torah itself that's emet give emet give the truth give the torah to yaakov which is am Yisrael. That's the job of every Jew. The job of every Jew is to transmit the truth of the Torah to Am Yisrael. Now, David HaMelech, in the writings, chapter uh, uh, in, in Psalms, chapter 119, verse number 163, takes it a step even further. In his outcry to Hashem, David HaMelech, literally, if you read his words and you understand them, you simply just start crying. You're crying about his righteousness. You're crying about... His, his difficulties, you're crying simply about the fact that such a person lived in the world and we didn't have the merit to see him with our own eyes. David Amalek says in avti." He says, I have hated falsehood, I've hated Shekel and abhorred it, meaning it's disgusting to me. Your Torah I love. So here again, he makes the same comparison. The shekel, which is everything the opposite of the Torah. Everything that's not Torah, that's part of the shekir. That's part of the lies. And he says, Hashem, I hated. I hated the lies. I am disgusted by it. Now, of course, if Davina Melech is writing it, and Hashem put it in his Torah, that means that what he said is what he believed, is what was true. Because if... On one hand, a person says something, but in reality, inside themselves, they don't really believe it. You know, he tells uh, he tells uh, some girl he just met last week, "Oh, I really love you." In reality, he doesn't love her. He just loves himself, and he loves the things that his mind uh, makes him think. He loves the things that he can do by manipulating this person. Oh yeah, I love uh, you know, I love going to such and such place. You don't really love going to anything. You just love to uh yourself you love to bring joy to yourself people don't understand the meaning of love David HaMelech says something and Hashem puts it in his Torah that means that his words and his heart were the same because this got to be part of the Torah it got stamped into eternity and David HaMelech says Hashem I have hated falsehood and abhorred it I hate lies so much It simply makes me want to vomit. Anything of lies. I want to vomit. It's disgusting to me. Just like you'd be disgusted by seeing any type of, I don't know, dead animal on the street or or something filthy or garbage pail. Whatever you think is is disgusting. When you think of the word disgusting, you get something of visual. David says, I see lies the same way. But Torah, I love. Why? Torah is true torah is true later on in the next psalm 120 david the melech says hashem rescue my soul from lying lips from a deceitful tongue here now after telling hashem how much he hates lies david the melech pleads with Hashem literally crying to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and says Hashem I need your help I can't do this by myself there are so many liars in this world that pretend to be honest so many people that claim to be honest leaders honest religious leaders honest political leaders honest business leaders whatever all types of people they're such liars it's simply impossible to keep count but the worst part is the ones that claim to say the truth in the name of God a rabbi that says that what he says is true but in reality he made it up he says things like God needs you and there should be unity among all of the nations including the Jews or that there's no truth out there a true monopoly among the religions everyone has a part of the truth all types of false statements that appease the crowd people like to hear it because it makes them feel good with their lies inside but the reality is is that it's as false as false gets but it traps many people David says Hashem please rescue my soul from these lying lips from deceitful tongue if it was simply rescue my bank account you would say rescue me from these liars if it was rescue me from these bad relationships okay rescue me from this bad marriage he's not asking for that he's asking Hashem to rescue him from these lying people that could jeopardize the status of his soul the status of his eternity meaning rescue me from false religious leaders that claim to have the truth in the name of some religion whether it be this or that if they do not have the truth they're simply liars and they're putting the public at risk so here we see that David cried about it the prophet Micha explained it and HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself showed us where the truth lies now I'm sure you've heard that the statement in the Torah it says Hashem is true and his Torah is true and the sages expound on that and say what does it mean Hashem is true and his Torah is true that his signature is truth. Anything that is true, that's from Hashem. If it's not from Hashem, it's false. It's man-made, false beliefs, fantasies, all types of uh provocative things to manipulate crowds. If it's true, it's from Hashem. If it's not true, it's not from Hashem. People are making it up. Because the stamp of Hashem is true. Now this is something you have to keep in mind as we go on now the fact that hashem's stamp is true what does that actually mean in my personal day-to-day life so the chazonish now says the depravity of falsehood is widespread and the damage it causes is immense what does it mean the damage that it causes is immense is he talking about the person that portrays that uh, they're really a good investor and they can invest your money and really it's a Ponzi scheme like the uh, uh, Ponzi schemes that are out there, whether it's uh, Madoff that already died or Stanford from you know, 15 years ago or the current Ponzi schemes that are starting to come out in bitcoins and all types of uh, uh, false types of investment strategies that were never true to begin with or the ones that will be coming out. As the financial crisis grows up, you start seeing all of the liars come out along with it because one of the things that liars in the financial world depend on is a growing economy where people are not paying attention and people start becoming afraid of missing out of opportunities so they don't, uh, they don't do the same things that they would typically do to be careful because they're afraid of missing the profits. So usually when everything starts going down that's when all the scandals come out too now is that what the Chazanish is talking about no how do we know he says the following he defines what a lie is any deviation from the truth in our speech is a lie it's to be condemned not only because of the deceit that is being used in order to achieve some expected gain at the expense of one's fellow man rather any change that does not aim to cause harm or have any type of profit even when telling an insignificant story is also called lying and is included in the sin of falsehood see here The chazonish elaborates and lets us know, yes, of course, lying about business, lying to cheat people out of money, cheat people out of their houses, cheat people in some type of business deal, that's of course a lie, but you don't need me for that. Why, you already know. If the guy did what he said he's going to do when you signed a deal with him, then he's honest. If he didn't, he's a liar, that's it. The lawyer said that he's going to represent you and he, you're, he believes that you're going to win. The second you give him the money, all of a sudden he starts saying, no, listen, don't have so many expectations because your case doesn't look good. You know, listen, I think that if you get out of this 25% less than what they're suing for you suing you for, you you actually did good. Wait, but but you didn't tell me that before I gave you the money. Before I gave you the money, you said my case looks great. Before I gave you the money, you said this is a... Account- no brainer we could definitely win this we're gonna give it to them the second i gave you the money all of a sudden you tell me don't have high hopes don't expect much what happened to all the optimism what happened to all the certainty you know what happened one was a version of the truth that makes sales that convinces and manipulates people and the other one is simply saying listen i already got what i want why do i need to work hard for it anymore i'm just going to do whatever i can to get this over with as soon as possible even if that means it's at your at your detriment at your loss so it's important for a person to know that when it comes down to dealing with business unfortunately many times you're going to find out who the liar is a little bit too late a little bit too late the doctor that tells you yeah sure i could take care of this one two three come on tuesday at uh 10 o'clock, I'll take you right away. You get there, 10 o'clock. Sure, sure, just sit down, sir, and uh, he'll be right with you. 11.30, an hour and a half has passed. Uh, is the doctor here? Yeah, yeah, he's just busy with patients. Yeah, but he said 10 o'clock. He said 10 o'clock. Yeah, you know, he's busy. Okay, so why didn't he say 11.30? Oh, you know, he, we never really know these things. Also, oh, this is like a one-time thing? So next time I have an appointment and he says 10, like he'll actually see me at 10? We try our best, sir. And the next time, it's 10, but you only see the doctor at 11, or at 11.15, or at 10.45, or sometimes it could even be one thirty. Why? Because there is no element of truth in their appointments. It's simply just, where could I just, which part of the Windows program will allow me to insert this guy's name in there so the doctor can make more money? Disregarding his. Is, is schedule <clears throat> disregarding any respect to people's time, just like um, where could I put it somewhere and make money out of it? There's no element of truth whatsoever. How many times have you spoken or unfortunately been part of the case yourself where you speak to a contractor? Contractor, you wanna remodel your home, wanna do something for your business, whatever it is, the contractor comes and he's very, very nice and he says, yes, listen, we have a long history. We're doing great. We have a lot of employees. We could do this job for you. You need us to do it for you. How long is it going to take you to finish this job? Oh, you know what, sir? I could probably finish this no more than five weeks, maybe even four. Oh, really? Four or five weeks? Okay, listen, you're a little more expensive than the other guys, but I'll take you. Four or five weeks? That sounds great. The other guy told me three months. Ooh, three months? You can't go with people like that. Can't go. Oh, he's even giving you a boost. Wow, this guy is even like gripping the other guy for saying three months. How dare he say three months for something that only takes five weeks? Well, five months later, you call on the guy, listen, you still didn't finish yeah i'm sorry sir you know i got busy and you know the government just sent me a paper and you know my wife she did and you know what do i care i paid you based on a promise does your word mean anything that doesn't have any value whatsoever the answer is if a person does not have torah the value of their words is absolutely zero zero double zero don't mistake this for double threes zero zero no torah no sense of truth whatsoever this is across all of mankind whether there be natural born jews or there be arabs or there be christians or they be whatever they are if they do not have torah they have no concept of what truth is and the reason why Is simply because the truth only exists in the Torah. The truth is the only thing that obligates you. The the Torah is the only thing that obligates you to say the truth. Now you may think that you're saying the truth until we delve into it a little bit. And you start noticing that, you know what? Maybe I'm not as honest as I thought. I'm honest about business. I'm not lying like this guy is saying. But the last time my wife called me, and she said honey are you coming home i need you to help me with the kids yeah honey listen we're really busy at work uh, it's i don't know i don't know what i'm going to do I'll, I'll try to be there in the next two hours two hours wow you're so late yeah it's really busy okay honey i love you hangs up the phone he's back to playing his little playstation at work wait wait i thought you were busy at work yeah busy playing he just doesn't want to watch the kids doesn't want to help his, his wife he doesn't want to do anything he wants to play video games he wants to play. What? That's lying too? Yes, yeah, that's a lying. Of course that's lying. That's filthy. That's rotten. It's disgusting. And the lies continue to grow. Person gets stopped by a cop. Gets pulled over. Sir, do you know why I stopped you? No, no, I, I don't know, sir, so I'm, I'm in a hurry. Listen, my uh, my wife, she's giving birth, and, and and my mother just died. And you know, the kid, he just fell yesterday. We just got out of the hospital, and his leg broke in 14 places. I don't even know if he's ever going to walk again. And you know, this is after such a tough week. My dog just died. The cop listens. Whoa, buddy, listen, forget about it. Just go, 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 go. You know what, I'll help you out, go. And he's happy with his lies his mother is healthy his kids are okay his wife is not in the del- she hasn't even been pregnant in 20 years and he thinks that lying is good why got away with it i didn't have to pay a 500 hundred dollar ticket he doesn't realize he just sold his soul to the satan himself he just sold his soul to the satan himself the satan owns you right now why all of those sins are things you can take advantage of either in this world or the next and one way you could tell you, listen, when you lied to the cop, it worked. You could also lie to your wife. You could lie to your customers. You could lie to your boss. You could just simply lie all the time. Well, it worked. Look, look, you just got out of the ticket. So you can start giving the person the understanding that lies are good when it's for my benefit. Completely disregarding that the lies may be to your benefit, but are hurting other people satan owns them even more so each one of those lies created all types of demons those demons are now able and permitted to influence the person to do more bad things more lies more deceiving more immorality more everything that's bad you created it you can't complain about it and the satan now owns this guy owns him and he doesn't even realize it. He now has a new owner and he doesn't realize it. Why? He got away with a ticket. He doesn't realize that he was better off getting $5,000 worth of tickets instead of saying those five lies. Now, the Chazoni says that people, when they think of lies, they think, oh, lies is to deceive people in order to take advantage of them so I can get some money from them. And if I don't lie like that, if I don't lie to take stuff from people, then I'm an honest person. Wrong. He says it's not just those type of lies that are at the expense of other people at the expense of cheating other people. Rather, any change in your speech, even if it doesn't have an aim for a profit, an aim to cause harm to somebody, even if it's just selling change to somebody an insignificant story. That's not true. That's also in this in the in the same room of lies that the Satan owns. What are some of these examples? Now, the cop story was kind of a mix of both. But there are other lies that people say all the time. A guy takes off of work for a couple of days. He doesn't feel good. He had a tummy ache. He gets back to work. You know, he's this hotshot broker or realtor or whatever he is, lawyer. He doesn't want to tell his co-workers, my tummy hurts, you know, my mom was making me soup. No. What does he want to say? Hey, where where you been? Ah, no, listen, I just had a long weekend. Long weekend. What would you what would what, you do? Play video games? Nah, come on, me video game. No, no, I went to the islands. Where? Islands? Yeah, yeah, no, I took, I took, uh, you know, I took a couple of uh Family members just to give him a good time. We went to the islands. We had a good time. We, you know, hung out by the beach. And he makes up this whole fantasy story that never happened. Why? He figures, doesn't hurt them to think that I went on vacation. doesn't hurt them to think that I have this uh, ela- lavish lifestyle. Maybe they'll like me more. Maybe they'll, uh, I don't know, maybe it'll make them happy that I had a good time. And he thinks this simple lie is not a big deal. I used to have a guy like this in my office. And this guy was such a pathetic, chronic liar. Like he simply did not even know that he was lying anymore. You hear this guy on the phone. And in the beginning we thought he was joking. He was talking to someone, one of his friends, but then we started seeing this as a regular thing. And he's talking to people that he's trying to pitch them to get customers. And, uh, you know, once in a while, you know, you're not on the phone and the other guy's on the phone. So you overhear other people talk. Usually you're busy. When you're in a uh, sales business, if you're not selling, you're, you're, you're not making. So you have to keep yourself busy. But once in a while, you hear other people talk. And we hear this guy and he's uh, he's talking He's like, yeah, yeah, no, this weekend, yeah, I think I'm going to be on my yacht. I think I'm going to be on my yacht this weekend. You know, I have a little chopper. I take it. I have a good time. I take it on the yacht. And, you know, sometimes we uh, we go elsewhere. Can't take my yacht there. It's too far. You know, the gas, it's too high. And he tells the guy on the phone this story about him going on his yacht and the chopper. And the guy barely is able to afford taking a cab to work. Taxi, sometimes you have to borrow 20 bucks from one of the guys. Rent, he was still living with some family member because he couldn't afford to. But he's talking to the guy like he has a yacht and he has a this and he has a that. Now, if this wasn't bad enough that he was a liar, the worst part is when one of the guys in the office will call him out on it and say, hey, listen, can I go on that yacht with you? He's like, what are you talking about? Huh? No, I I just heard you going on your yacht. I never said that. And he would lie about lying as if everybody else in the office is stupid, dumb, and deaf. And he would get insulted. Oh, you call me a liar? You call me a liar? I don't lie. What are you talking about? You're a liar you probably like your uh, customers and he starts accusing other people of the same stuff he's doing that's what liars do the second you call them out they immediately attack anything that they possibly can and usually it's the things they're guilty of why because you've uncovered the rottenness that they call life so while they think that that simple uh, statement to the to this or to that is inconsequential it's not uh, it's not a big deal the reality is is that it is no less of a big deal than a lie that's going to take advantage of other people's property now the gemara which the uh Chazonish brings in masechet bava metzia in page 23b says in three things the sages allowed for a person to change his words meaning to change the truth three three conditions about the masechets about marital relations and about hosting hospitality why what what are what's so special about these uh these three conditions so Rashi elaborates on and he says if somebody comes and asks you have you uh, completed this tractate in the Gemara, or have you completed the Shas, or how many times have you completed the Shas, how many times have you completed this tractate? From humility, you're allowed to say, no, 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 I'm, I, I'm a long way to go, even though you have completed, even though you do know. Now I know in the world of finance, in the world of business, this is the opposite of what people do. Usually people lie about what they did, and rather than lying about what they didn't do meaning that they tell you that they have all types of degrees and all types of uh, abilities when in reality they're barely able to add one plus one without a calculator but in the world of Torah humility is a good thing in fact you want a direct source of blessing from you to from to you the more humility the more blessing you're going to get somebody asks you have you completed the shas?" and you have you could say, no, no, I still have a long way to go. You Did you uh, f- finish this Masechet? Which Masechet is it? Oh, it's uh, Sanhedrin. Well, what is it about again? You could play, you know, a little, you don't have to say that you know what's going on. Why? Humility. Unless there's a benefit to it. Meaning, if he says, listen, whatever Masechet you finished, I'll do it too. Meaning there's going to be a benefit to tell him the truth. There's no reason to. There's no reason to tell him why because maybe if you tell him that you completed the shas already two three four five times and the amount of time that it takes him to finish one masechet he's gonna be discouraged he's gonna simply not gonna want to do it or better yet if he thinks that you've you know you tell him how much Torah you learned he's gonna start giving you so much honor that it's really unnecessary so it's certainly praiseworthy to not to tell people how much torah you actually know now I know in the world today it's really the opposite people pretend like they know a lot more than uh than what they actually do know but again this is what one of the conditions is the Gemara says the second condition is about marital relations what about marital relations Tzniut, modesty is one of the foundations of Judaism in fact to attain holiness is only possible if somebody is modest and holiness that is the foundation of judaism as the Torah says in parashat kdoshim kdoshim to you kikadoshani you be holy because I am holy so what is what is holiness the Torah explains to us the commentators Ramban uh, uh, Rashi that's holiness is modesty modesty when it comes to marital relations so now when somebody says, listen, uh, you wanna come to uh, a shiur or you wanna come to a party or you wanna come, whatever, do something and you can't. Why? It's mikveh night. Now, if you tell the guy, listen, I can't because my wife is there, it's not appropriate, it's not modest. Tell him, no, no, I can't, I can't, I can't come. Oh, why didn't you come? Oh, no, I couldn't, why? Ah, I didn't feel good. But it's a lie. Yes, but it's a lie in order to protect the truth. That is inappropriate for you to share that with somebody else, because it's not modest, because it'll bring embarrassment to your spouse. And certainly it can bring bad thoughts to this person that you're telling it to. Never tell anybody about what goes on behind closed doors between you and your spouse. Unlike what the world has made everybody's business, and it's literally the most vile disgusting thing in the world in the Torah world it's the exact opposite meaning the Torah says this is the world of lies and people always ask what does it mean world of lies this in the world of the Torah the privacy of your relationship is up here and important it's very very important for your relationship to be private from everybody from your family from your friends from your co-workers from society at large no one should know about what happens behind closed doors between you and your spouse no one should know about any of that unless they are somebody that is directly related that's going to help you meaning you're going to your rabbi or some type of professional that is there to help you in some difficulty that you have other than that and even that has to be taken with a grain of salt you have to only go to specific people no one is allowed to know anything in fact even when a woman gets pregnant the worst thing she can do is publicize it to the world oh we're expecting worst thing in the world you can do why first of all it's not modest that's first of all why people think oh pregnancy oh because Oh, oh yeah all the garbage that goes the manure that goes into people's minds Who? why why would you want that that's number one number two it brings evil eye why all the people that either don't have kids or simply are jealous for different reasons or simply have evil oh look they have so many oh what do you care well you have to pay for it people all over they always, they like to count other people's money other people's responsibility oh how does he pay for all of that what do you care they ask you for any money they ask you for loans and that's the problem advertising those things is a terrible idea. Now people are immediately say, wait, but I could tell my mother, right? But I could tell my sister, right? But I could tell my best friend, right? Because we're BFF since we were like three years old. But I could tell also my coworker. And I, before you know it, these shares, I could just, I'm not gonna tell everybody. I'm just gonna tell 57,000 people on YouTube. Like, no, it's not a good idea. But of course, when do you tell? When simple, you have no choice. Why? Because they see it for themselves. The body has changed. You don't need to advertise to the world. Now, if you want to tell anyway, by all means, do you do what you want to do. There's no prohibition from saying it. It's just not a good idea. Why? There's no benefit. Oh, i will make them happy. How do you know? Well, they love me. How do you know? Even if they love you, how do you know it's going to make them happy? How do you know they're not going to give you evil eye? Nobody that love me. Oh, you do realize that even people that love you can uh, give you evil eye. Ayin Agha comes... Even from good people, and it's, in fact, sometimes einarad that's the most lethal. Comes from people that love you the most, even without intending it. In fact, evil eye could even come from you and yourself. Whoa, to you, if you don't know all of the details of evil eye, you are one of these people that discloses the, the you know the truth about your life to the world. Worst things in the world happens to people simply because they don't know how to keep their mouth shut. So. First and foremost, when it comes to the issues of morality, the issues of intimacy between people, the Torah world, privacy is key. Key. That's the foundation. If you don't have privacy, you don't have a successful marriage. Your marriage is on a, you know, one of those hourglasses. It's about to be ended by something or someone. Do not tell people how great your husband is. Why? 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 Tell him, I love my husband, great husband. The end. Talk about something else. Talk about the Torah. Talk about some story. Why? Don't tell all your friends of how wonderful your husband is. Oh, you know, he bought me flowers. Oh, you know, he took me to a uh, a nice uh, 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 show and there's, I don't know, some ducks were flying in the air with colorful colors. I don't know. Whatever he did for you that you love so much, don't tell your friends about it. Why? Oh, he bought me jewelry. Don't tell him. Why? because they're gonna become jealous and start thinking, well, my husband doesn't do it for me. Well, my husband doesn't buy it for me. And you know what? I deserve what she's getting. So maybe, and you all of a sudden you start seeing that she's nicer to your husband. And what do you think? These things don't happen. Look at the statistics. You could find it online. The primary candidates of adultery are friends, friends. It's usually not strangers. Why? She told everybody how wonderful her husband is. He told everybody how wonderful his wife is. Oh, she's so wonderful! Okay, maybe I'll make her my wife. People are evil and selfish if they don't have Torah. So, the issues of kedusha, holiness between man and his wife, have to be private. In the world we live in today, it's the exact opposite. People want the whole world to know that they're insane that they think that they are something else he was born a man but he wants to tell everybody in the world needs to know that he thinks he's a woman this is obviously a person that is has serious problems but he could have kept it to himself he could have simply he can think it he's allowed to think whatever he wants but why do you have to make it everybody else's business why isn't there a parade for straight people but there is a parade for LGBTQB every other day why isn't there a celebration for the normalcy of society but there is one for the abnormalcy because the world is a world of lies when it's absent of Torah and therefore people want other people to buy into their lies he wants you to know that his deformed mind believes deformed things and you need to know about it. Why you need to know about it? I have no idea. Why do they need everybody else to know what they choose to do behind closed doors? I have no idea, other than the fact that lies are simply looking to infect others. And this is one of the things that actually happens with people like that, where they believe that they're evil is more justified if other people do it if other people agree with it they need credibility they need agreement and therefore they need to publicize the falsehood as much as possible in order to turn the falsehood into truth but as i said in earlier that's not possible it, the falsehood can be believed as true but eventually it comes out and you see that it's always been false it's always been a lie a lie never t- changes and turns into the truth and the truth can never change into a lie if it's really true so the sages explained to us that akadoshba whose stamp is truth he created this world with truth so now one of the things that he puts in his torah is that husbands and wives have to keep their privacy People that are the opposite of that, that wanna publicize all of the private things about their lives, those are people that are simply trying to attract other people in order to infect them with their lies. Because the more people believe their lies, the more they feel good about themselves, that as if they're not living a lie. Like somebody came out with uh, some type of documentary or movie and he said what is a woman and you couldn't believe it I didn't watch the movie I just watched a few segments of it and this guy asks different so-called health professionals psychiatrists doctors all types of people and he asks them you deal with all types of LGBTQB types of people that's a given they may even be one of them You say that a he can be a she. You're saying that if he feels like a she, then he's a she. So tell me, what is a woman? And they don't know how to define it. They don't have a definition for a woman. Now, if you ask a five-year-old, what is a woman? They will be able to tell you what a woman is. If you ask a, a, uh, literally, a person who just learned how to speak, they'll tell you what a woman is. If you ask somebody in a third world country that has not been exposed to the falsehood of Western society, what is a woman? They'll be able to answer you without a problem, without a hesitation, and in fact, they'll be confused at why you're asking them the stupid question that everybody knows. And when you tell them the reason is because we have a whole generation of liars, that have lied to themselves so much that they started believing that the lie is true and when that wasn't enough they decided to force the public to believe their lies and infect them with lies and therefore they don't even know the basic definition of anything that's true like what is a woman Now, this whole topic is not something that should have ever been discussed in the first place. Why? Because even if someone has a perverted mind that has a lot of evil things in his mind, inappropriate things in his mind, inappropriate things in in her mind, it could stay there. It doesn't need to become everybody else's business. But that's the problem with lies you know they say misery loves company it's really lies love company lies are worse than any virus you can possibly imagine why because they need more victims in order to continue standing so when it comes to the issues of marital relations of of issues of modesty this is a place where a person can change the truth the third condition the Gemara says it's hospitality this is a very simple one to understand if let's say for example somebody hosts you and he's a wealthy person uh and uh they're they're a very generous host don't go out and tell people oh you know who hosted me i went to this house you see this house he's got chandeliers he's got this sick house amazing this and it was five courses of food and it was don't do that why because if you do that it'll be publicized and then the whole world's going to want to come to this guy's house how do you know that he wants that maybe he just likes to you and he wanted to invite you but generally speaking he doesn't want to have guests at least not as often or he's just simply more selective with guests and he doesn't feel comfortable telling people no so don't be generous with other people's property This is a very common bad trait in the world today where people are simply generous with other people's stuff. Oh yeah, what do you want? That software, yeah, yeah, we have it at the company. Sure, sure, yeah, I'll get you one. Wait, you're gonna buy it? No, no, but the company has it. The company bought it for your friend or the company bought it for employees? Well, yeah, I mean, they're a big company, they have, what's the big deal? The big deal is that even if it's $2, the company used the two dollars for the company not for you to be generous with your friends and family this is not like a family friends plan don't use the company car and the company petty cash and the company vacation and the company material and and everything for your personal uh, uh generosity it's not for that that's called stealing but unfortunately today this is one of the main things people use company stuff for i remember when we moved offices we moved offices a couple of times but we had to uh, uh, remodel a few times and every time we'd move we remodel we change furniture you know we'd have to go into people's desks some people that weren't with us anymore some people that were still there whatever it is and every time we went to people's desks or they emptied out their desks literally you would see like two, $300 worth of like company stuff that, you know, pens and, and paper and, 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 all types of, uh, I don't know, all types of stuff that, you know, company office material that they just simply decided to make their drawer, their own personal storage unit, but it's unused. So you're buying, I don't know, a hundred dollars worth of pens, and you figure, okay, these $100 worth of pens going to, I don't know, it's going to last us, I don't know, like five years because there's 10 of us, 20 of us. Each guy gets, I don't know, two pens, three pens, finished, that's it. A week later, the pens are gone. What do people, eat the pens today? Anybody have a pen? No, no, nothing, no pen. No pen, you should get some pens. I just got pens. Really? I didn't see it. Okay, get another $100 worth of pens. A month later, anybody got a pen? Now I was actually looking for one myself. I don't know, pen, You got to get some pens, guy. Listen, you're the boss. You got to get some pens. Where's people eating? Is there a pen thief? Is there a pen thief in the building? You start looking around in the offices. Who's stealing my pens? Oh, I think, oh, it's not my pen. No, no, that has your company logo on it. But it's like, I had a pen just like that. You start looking at a place. Where's the pen? Who's eating the pens? Then finally you change furniture or you move. And you open a drawer. and You see this guy... Has literally three hundred dollars worth of pens in his drawer. And it's like, what, what, what do you do with these pens? I don't know. I don't know how they got there. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what happened. I'm so I don't know. And then you see the guy next to him. You open his drawer. He's got four hundred dollars worth of pens. What? What's going on? What are you guys fighting with pens against each other? You selling it in the in the black market? Where did all these pens come from? And it's not just staplers and pens and all types of stuff. Why? generosity with other people's stuff this is very common one of the worst things that people do in business is generosity with company time the company tells you listen you have a certain amount of time to work certain amount of time to do this to do that and people simply take advantage of it they steal from companies they steal time from companies and you will have to pay for every single one of those things Every one of those things, they're all considered part of the world of lies, part of the world of stealing, part of the world of sins. And a person that's not careful to the extent where they simply don't consider any of it as even a problem. And if the company is particular about it, you have a very serious problem. And this is something that's very common in business, business owners. You have to be careful. You have to be careful. So now back to our issue at hand, hasudni says we see that these things were allowed meaning the three things the three uh, uh, exceptions three exceptions where you're allowed to change the truth you're allowed to change the truth for hospitality you're allowed to change the truth for the issues of modesty and you're allowed to change the truth for the issues of knowledge not to show that you're such a big chacham, for the issues of uh, for the matters of humility and he says we see that these change these things were allowed Only because telling the truth in such cases has an aspect of disgracing someone, either the person themselves or someone else. Telling about what happens between you and your spouse is certainly going to bring embarrassment. If you have a normal spouse, it'll bring embarrassment to you or them or both of you. Telling about uh, somebody about the hospitality, how lavish their house is, is certainly not going to be something that makes normal people happy. Uh, i could bring embarrassment to them that you uh that you tell people how glamorous their hospitality is and certainly a person that really has torah knowledge would be embarrassed if people think that he's such a giant like real tommy don't like when people call them a giant and a gaon and a this and a that all of these things they don't like it in fact there's many many uh, uh uh stories about sages of how they literally would uh would whisper to themselves that everything people are saying about them is a lie. There was one time a, uh, an event, a big event, they had in a stadium in Israel with Ravavadia as one of the, uh, you know, the main speaker. And uh, this was a huge event, you know, literally tens of thousands of people showed up. And uh, Ravavadia was uh, there and uh, he didn't realize that they already turned on his mic. So when he was coming, you know, he was out there and everybody was like, you know, uh, yelling out his name and, and celebrating him, the gaon, the this, the that, he was heard on the microphone saying, it's not true, you're not anything, you, you're just an evid Hashem, you're just nothing, you're a zero, you're a this. like, don't believe any of this stuff. Don't take this this stuff seriously. They don't know. They're just saying it to make you feel better. All types of things. Like he's literally, you know, saying to himself what he believes. That it's not true, all of these compliments. But he didn't realize that the whole place heard this. And that's when people understood what humility is. When somebody actually has all the reasons in the world to be arrogant. So when it comes to these things... Torah made an exception because these specific three conditions can bring disgrace embarrassment to someone and therefore one should choose to alter one's speech but in other matters like them even if they are insignificant and lying about them does not cause any deception to one's fellow man it's still considered a lie and therefore it's forbidden So here, the chazonish is in essence telling us that even if what you're saying is not going to hurt the other person, lying to him about some amount of money that you say you have when you really don't, lying to him about some car that you say you own when you really are borrowing it, or some house you live in when you really don't, these so-called lies or some people like to call them white lies they're not really white they're all sins they're all forbidden the exceptions we discussed already now when a person dedicates their life to only saying the truth there's an extraordinary benefit to doing it it's not easy at first at least if a person doesn't have that natural inclination to say the truth but it's rewarding beyond your imagination because it simply puts the person in line with their creator now when a person doesn't think this through they could live a life full of lies only seeing the consequences of those lies after it's too late one of the common the common examples is when mothers or fathers have kids and they don't realize that they're training their kids to lie. There was a funny story, but there's Musar from it to be learned, where there was a mother, went on a bus with her 15 year old son. But everybody knows, you know, young kids, when they're five years old or under at times, you know, you don't have to pay. So she told the, uh, her son, tell him you're five years old. So you get for free. So now they go on the bus, she pays for herself and they start walking. The bus driver, oh, you forgot to pay for him. No, 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 he's young. The bus driver's young. He's taller than her. What are you, what are you talking about? You're, you're five years old? Yeah, I'm five years old. Five years, you could drive the bus. No, no, when are you gonna be, when are you, when are you gonna be more than five years old? Oh, when I get off the bus. <laughs> so the mother that's stingy doesn't, also, doesn't realize that she's also teaching our son to lie. Doesn't realize she's teaching her son to lie. Why? To save a few, a few dollars. Save a few dollars. The same thing goes when somebody comes to, uh, you know, if you live in uh, Jewish neighborhoods, this is very common, where people come to the houses and they knock on the door and asking for tzedakah, asking for charity for different causes. Sometimes people get annoyed by this. Oh, this, that. So as soon as somebody knocks on the door and you're not expecting anyone, She told the son, tell him we already gave, we already gave. If a son is a normal brain, he's thinking to himself, how does she know we already gave? I don't even know who's outside. How does she know we gave to this cause? We didn't give to another cause. So what does the son learn from this? It's okay to lie. It's okay to simply not tell the truth. He's not learning that we don't just give to anybody. He's not learning anything valuable. He's only learning you're allowed to lie. This was very common in the back in the day when you know house phones were more common and people would call and one of the parents didn't want to answer it so he told the kids listen listen whoever pick up pick up for me tell him not home and your little kid picks up yes all right is your dad home no he's not home oh he's not home no Do you know when he's gonna be home uh let me check ah but when are you gonna be home Now, of course, this is funny, but it's true. This happens. People simply don't realize that the kid, when it's born, he doesn't have any, any lies in him. He just has whatever he thinks is the true. But if you teach the kid to lie, ooh, he will lie. Now, of course, sometimes kids learn how to lie because they see that it works for them. They see that if they say the truth, they get in trouble. If they lie, they don't get in trouble. And one of the extraordinary stories in the Sefer Ohot Yosher by Rav Alaba Shalom, he writes that uh, he once knew of a uh, Sephardi Chacham that if you would give him all the money in the world, he wouldn't say a lie and it was so obvious about him he was such a truth speaker that everyone knew this is a man of truth and Rav Kanievsky once asked him what what gave you this that you always say the truth he says my father how he said when I was a kid you know playing with my brothers and sisters you know once in a while we're little kids we get in trouble we break something as soon as my father found out he'd bring us all in front of him and he say to us whoever tells me the truth about what happened will be forgiven just be careful not to do it again but whoever doesn't tell me the truth and after I check I find out that they lied to me will be punished double so that immediately we realized that it's better off for us to tell the truth and once in a while one of us made the mistake of saying the lie oh why they got punished and then from then on we knew only tell the truth why it doesn't pay to say the falsehood and this became part of our life further the uh uh Rav Kanievsky says in his book Ochot Yoshe, he talks about different midot. the first he talks about is the midata the, the, the trait of truth And he says that a person who speaks the truth will succeed in avoiding all sins, just like the midrash uh midrashim, page two ninety six, says, Those who speak truth never stumble into sin. So already we see that a person that makes the truth first nature already it helps them with everything else in life because sins all of them are part of falsehood they're part of the lies the lies of the satan that entices you to do something making you think that it's good when in reality it's bad for you a woman thinks that the satan is telling her the truth when he tells her to be not modest she thinks that she will look more beautiful if she has less clothes she thinks that people will like her more if she's not modest The satan lies to her to make her think that she should become public property just like the garbage pail. She doesn't realize that the most beautiful, respectable women on the planet are modest. The ones you want to marry are modest. The ones that are garbage pail for public use are not modest. But the satan fools women to make them think that not not to be modest that's the good thing and he does the same exact thing with everything else all of the sins are part of falsehood so when a person makes it their first nature to always say the truth automatically it makes them more inclined to also do things that are truthful why because if you always say the truth to do something that's part of falsehood to do it to make a sin doesn't make sense anymore it contradicts your speech no one wants to contradict themselves further Rav Kanievsky brings the Sefer Hasidim. Sefer Hasidim, written about 600 years ago or so and he says it teaches that if a person speaks the truth and has no desire to contemplate falsehood or to lie then all of his thoughts and the words that he speaks come true even when he doesn't intend them as commands or as directions because the torah writes in the book of eiov job chapter 22 verse 28 you would utter a decree and it would be done and it follows that if one is careful never to lie all the blessings that he gives to people will come true just as he is careful not to lie so to heaven watches over him and ensures that everything he says turns out to be true and is fulfilled this is one of the reasons why people go to tzadikim to ask for blessings because tzadikim by their nature they only tell the truth and this is also why their blessings become fulfilled since they only tell the truth Hashem makes sure that whatever comes out of their mouth remains to be true so if they bless you to have a child they bless you to find a zivug they bless you for whatever it is they bless you with Hashem ensures that those words come true And there's no end to the times of people telling stories about different righteous people that they went through, especially people that were people of truth and asked for blessings, and those blessings came true. Those blessings came true. Only problem is sometimes people don't really believe in the blessings. They believe, oh, you know, I'll take the blessing, but in reality, I'll uh, also... uh, get some uh you know help from uh from the medical world or I'll, I'll do this or, you know they, they believe in like the, if the blessing comes out good if not let me get a backup plan that's not really believing the blessing you have to believe in the blessing itself those two couples went to uh rabovadia and uh both of them were in need uh, of uh, having kids they both wanted to have kids and uh rabovadia gave both of them a blessing A year later, both couples came back. One happy, smiley came to invite the rabbi to the Brik Milah of the son that they had happily blessed after the blessing of the rabbi. Their friends were not so happy. In fact, their friends, were very upset. They thought the rabbi didn't really bless them. He said rabbi, "How come only uh, you blessed them?" He said, "No, I blessed both of you." I said, "Yeah, but look, they have a kid and we don't have a kid." Ravadia says to them, "Okay, let's see." He asks the first couple that had the kid. He says, "After I blessed you, what did you do that day?" They said, "Honestly, for the as soon as we left here, once we got the blessing from the rabbi, we were sure we we're going to have a kid, so we went to the stores and we started looking at furniture, to for for the for the new baby that's going to come. You know, we the crib, the pillows, little clothing. We try to figure out what clothes could be good for either a boy or a girl. You know, the unisex colors, and uh, we started shopping. We started buying stuff. Ah what about you what did you do after you got the blessing and the second couple says well to be honest with you Kodagav, Rav we tried having kids for a few years and nothing happened and after we came here we figured we we're going to come with our friends to ask for a blessing but after uh, we got the blessing uh we didn't go shopping uh we went to uh get a second opinion we went to a doctor again and we told the doctor well what do you think about uh the rabbi's blessing you think it's gonna work or do you think we need to get certain treatment? And the doctor says, listen, I don't believe in that stuff. So you're probably gonna have to get some treatment. So, you know, we started uh, looking more into the treatment. He says, see, sí, that's exactly the point. I gave the blessing, and Torah that I have, the truth that I say, certainly that it has certain value, but that doesn't get turned on if the person that's receiving the blessing doesn't believe it, doesn't believe that this is the truth, doesn't believe that this will come true. They killed the blessing so your friend believed so much they went to buy the furniture you didn't believe at all So Hashem says if you don't believe why should I make it true why should I make it true you see rabotai the person that learns Torah learns about the sages learns about their behavior and sees how every piece fits one of the other things that I want to say that in the name of Rav Kanievsky, is he says in page 16 in Olchot Yoshe, in the name of the of Vilna, that there are six levels to Gehenom. Each one is composed of ten sections. The sixth level includes all the others, and it's called death. It's there that the person who had the opportunity to study Torah and did not do so, that's where he's judged here we see the outcome of a person that ignores these teachings it's not just living a life of falsehood that is already a punishment of its own it's missing out on an eternity of good because a person that doesn't learn the Torah that doesn't adapt to the truth of the Torah is adapting to the world of lies is adapting to a world absent of Torah and that in itself has a punishment in addition to living a punishment in addition to living an empty life a purposeless life and the the Rav Kanievsky brings there's a special section in gain for that person too now Rav Kanievsky didn't start this on his own he got the trait of truth from his father the Stiple gaon a famous story came out about him where, after he published his book years ago, it was so well accepted that even the government of Israel wanted to support it. One of the divisions of the government wanted to support this Torah book that the stippe Lagon wrote, and they sent him a 400,000 shekel check as like a prize for such a amazing book in their wildest dreams, they didn't even expect to get a letter shortly after they sent the check with the check included in the letter. Thank you, but I don't need the money that you sent me because I am not poor. Yaakov Kanievsky. Now, you would think in the world of the lefty liberals, in the world of anti-Torah people, they say, oh yeah, the religious people, they take all the money of the government. The reality is, <laughs> it's the exact opposite. The state got the the government wanted to send him money. He doesn't, he didn't want it and it wasn't because he was against the government it was because he determined he's not poor so he doesn't need the money now you would think oh so he probably sold millions of copies he was probably living in this lavish Villa five stories with Lamborghinis in the garage anybody that saw the stifler Gaon's house anybody that saw the the uh, Agav Steinemann's house recently anybody that saw the tzaddikim's house like, wait you're not poor then what's poor these are tzaddikim that at times didn't have money to eat these are tzaddikim that at times literally would, would have to make ends meet in the most difficult ways but he said no no right now I have everything that I need I needed some money to publish the book. I got the money. The copies are out. I have money to eat this week. I have money to pay the I'm not poor. I have what I need. So this extra four hundred thousand shekels, an enormous amount of money. Literally in today's world, it's worth millions. It's like five four million. I don't need it. She would say, Yeah, okay maybe you don't need it now, maybe you'll need it tomorrow. Maybe you could give it to the yeshiva. Maybe no why why should i worry about tomorrow if hashem already gave me what i need today that's not coming from not wanting money that's coming from having the trait of truth to the highest extent today people think oh listen we're struggling we're not really sure our three bedroom is not big enough for our two kids and dog and, you know, we need a bigger house, you know, two cars, is not enough. We need a vacation car. And also that vacation house that we have, it's really not big enough. People think that they're struggling because their vacation house is not big enough, people think that they're struggling because their three bedroom house is not big enough. People don't realize what struggling is, especially here in, in America. They don't even understand what struggling is. I know a few people that are seriously struggling in America. But generally speaking, most people have no concept of what it means to struggle. No concept. So if somebody offered them $400, forget 400,000. Even if they're not struggling to take it. Somebody offered them 400,000, sure, thank you. Yeah, but you have 4 million, so I'll have 4.4. But you already have enough for, for a few generations. Oh, So what? I could always have more people have no concept of this I have what I need and that's enough that comes from truth that comes from truth how did this story get publicized the person that received the check back with the letter from Afganevsky from the stapler simply publicized it he decided he decided to keep a copy of this check, to keep a copy of this letter, and years later to sell it at an auction, and it came out an auction. You have a picture of the check. We'll put it on the screen tomorrow, blessed A picture of the letter of Kanievsky, the Lagon, the father of Rav Kanyevsky. Writes a letter, literally uh, one and a half lines thank you but here's the check why I'm not poor <laughs> I'm not poor that comes from the midah that's the trait of truth now one of the teachers that the stapler Gaon had that helped him get this trait of truth and expand upon it was the saba minavarduk. The Sabi Navaudok knew nothing else but the truth. His teacher was the Rabbi Saimi Salant. Rabbi Saimi Salant saw different aspects of the world from holy eyes. When he moved to Salant, he was a young man, dedicated in Torah already as a teenager. He was already giving shulit Torah. He was known as a gaon in all issues of the Torah already when he was 13, 14 years old, giving shurim to the elders. And one day, he noticed that there's one of these older men in the kila. it's very unique. Very unique person. And he saw he's very careful with mitzvot. But nobody's giving him any credit, no one is giving him any kavod as a established chacham or anything like that and he figured he wants to follow him he followed him into the woods and he saw that this very simple man was learning and praying and whatever he could hear from a distance showed him that this is no ordinary person And there he realized this is a person that I need to get as close as possible to. And before you know it, he discovered that this person is not only not an ordinary person, but is one of the 36 tzadikim that the world functions off of. The world has a right to exist. His name was Rabzundal of Zundel of Salant and he became his student and he publicized him and everybody understood that of Zundel also was one of the biggest talmidim if not the biggest talmid of Rabbi Chaimi Volozhin talmid of Gaon Vilna but he had such modesty such humility that he walked as if he was a regular person not with rabbinical clothes or rabbinical hat so much so that when he got to this town people didn't even realize he's a big tommy needless to say they didn't realize he's one of the most extraordinary people on planet earth and he was the rabbi of rabbi israel Salat. and he taught rabbi israel Salant that you must learn musa you have to make it a priority in your life and rabbi israel Salant. Built on it and built on it and eventually developed what we call as the thirteen midot, thirteen attributes that Rabbi Shlaimi Salant would review every single day and taught his students to review every single day and measure their actions for the day versus these midot. The thirteen are truth, emit diligence decisiveness respect peace of mind gentleness cleanliness patience orderliness humility righteousness thriftiness and silence the first one is emet truth where he says do not speak before you are sure that you're telling the truth liars may succeed for a while but in the long run they are not to be trusted or believed even when they do tell the truth remember your reputation depends on telling the truth the satan came to avraham avinu when avraham avinu was on the way to bring his son as a sacrifice to hashem because that's what he believed hashem wanted satan tried to convince avraham avinu not to do it in all types of ways Avram avinu says you're a liar i don't believe you eventually the satan saw that this is not going to work so he actually figured that maybe i could just tell Avram what's going to really happen and at least he's not going to be afraid so he won't get such a big mitzvah So he went to Avram and he said to Avram, Really, Avram, I know what's going on up there. Hashem doesn't want you to kill your son. He's just testing you. Really, you're not going to kill your son. He's going to tell you not to do it. Avram says to him, You are a liar. I cannot believe you. The Midrash Rabbah says, From there we learn, liars are. Not to, believe, to be believed, even if they tell the truth. Why? Because you don't know when they when they say the truth. A person that accustoms themselves to say lies, you simply can never believe them. Not on small things and not on big things. Rabbi Yisrael Mishalant will test this to himself and all of his students on a daily basis so much so that he would tell them, don't speak until you know that what you're saying is true. Before you say it before you say it think about it is what you're saying true if it's true you can say if it's not true you cannot say now sometimes there's truth that you can't say also because it'll embarrass somebody we'll talk about that another time but here the beast says this is the 13 attributes that a person has to check and test himself with every single day We'll go over the others at another time, but just to show you how this trait of emet was put into practice. Years after Rabbi Shlaim Salant already left Salant, he became a traveling rabbi. He went from city to city, doing kiruv, helping build communities. He went literally all over the place. He went to France, to Germany, different parts of Poland, Ukraine—literally everywhere. He would leave his family for sometimes years at a time just to go to another community, help them strengthen themselves in their Judaism, help them build a mikveh, help them build a Bech Midrash to learn Torah, help them learn Musar. After the job was done, leave the community, go somewhere else, start all over again. Not for money, not for kavod, but simply to save lives. Years after he left Salant, the first place he built place he, he was known after he came back to visit in those days there was an evil decree by the goyim where they would draft people into the army and force them to go into the army and simultaneously force them to go against the torah intentionally feeding them non-kosher food teaching them things about idol worship communism all types of horrible things so one of the major wars spiritual wars that we had to fight with is simply avoiding being drafted but every so often one of the jewish people will be drafted and this was a tragedy one day the community gets a notice Notice that they need to send somebody from the community to the army. Now, of course, nobody wants to send their son to the army. So the leaders are trying to figure out who can we put this on? Recently, there was a poor woman, a widow that moved in, came to the community with her son, played, our sad music, try to collect some stock of some charity. And the leader said, let's put their name, register their name on there, give them a fake address as if they live in this community and send that in. They send it in and they took our son. This woman, when she found out this evil decree, what happened to her, she literally went mad. She went to such sadness, she started ripping the hair out of her head. One day, she she goes to the different leaders, no one is answering, no one is saying anything, no one is helping her. And one day, she sees a new face. She sees the face of Rabbi Sami Salat. Malach Hashem she's a dignified person she comes up to him she starts crying to him immediately he says to her i'm gonna help you come see me at this place after shabbat she agreed the whole community was excited that their former rebbe Rabbi the is here so on shabbat they had a Big feast after the prayer, where the rabbi was going to speak. Everyone was expecting one of the great shulim. There's a lot of food. The whole community is there, surrounded by the leaders. And little did they know, the Rabbi Saimi Salant has changed the talk. And he says to them this place is forbidden to be prayed in since it has so many criminals in it now unlike today somebody says the truth people sit quiet today it's not so much but Rabbi Yisrael says as everybody's silent he started criticizing the leaders of Salant. criminals kidnapped an orphaned boy and put him in the army and he started yelling at them and shouting at the people you're murderers you're kidnappers then he looks at one of the leaders that he knew for a long time And you, Reb Chaim, he cried, you consider yourself a real tzaddik. You take so much pride in your strict observance of Shabbos. How dare you violate the Torah's law against kidnapping, which is punishable by death. And you, Reb Mendel, he shouted, you're so careful in observing mitzvot, but you don't seem to worry about turning over a Jewish child, an orphan, to shmad, to conversion. And you, Rabbi Yaakov, he screamed, you always buy the most beautiful etrog in town because you're so religious. How can you violate the law forbidding the oppression of a widow and an orphan? And he just kept rebuking every single one of the leaders, one by one. They were so shocked and scared, they simply didn't make a peep in response. And then he finally finished the speech by saying, I cannot stay among such criminals. And he got out of the place. The whole town found out about this. All of the regular people, not the leaders, say, yeah, he's true, but the rabbi's right. Jews should never be guilty of kidnapping, especially an orphan. Even the leaders realized what they did was wrong, and that they made a great sin, and decided to return the orphan to his mother. But they were so ashamed of Rabbi Slami Salant that they didn't have the courage to go tell him about their decision, their good decision, finally. So they sent one of his talmidim, Rabbi Yau of Kartinga. Kar- Kar- to go find Rabbi Yisrael and tell him. He couldn't find him. He was nowhere to be found. He left town. Eventually found him outside of town, sitting on a rock, talking to himself and crying, woe unto me that my people should be guilty of such terrible sins. Woe unto me that it happened in my own town of Salant. His Talmud Rabbi Eliyahu came to him and told him about how they changed themselves, they changed their ways. They returned the orphan to his mother. And Rabbi Yisrael Mishalant agreed to come back. And years later, when this evil draft law was repealed, Rabbi Yisrael Mishalant came back and gave them a bracha of thanksgiving and said that this day should be like a holiday. This was written in a book by Rabbi Zalman Uri, Talmud Chacham, one of the pioneers of American Judaism, one of the Talmudim of Rabbi and Kotler, Talmud Chacham, Baal Musa. And he has extraordinary stories about Rabbi Yisrael Misalant there, it's published multiple times. But here we see that these community leaders were religious Jews, they weren't thieves, murderers, con artists. These were religious people, but the moment that it came to their own self-interest, risking their own kids, risking their own well-being, their religiosity went outside, into the garbage. And all of a sudden, the trait of lies took over and somehow justified in their minds to take somebody else's kid and turn them into the victim of the community. How does such a thing happen? It doesn't happen all at once. It doesn't happen all at once. Didn't all just become liars right there and then for the first time in their life. Each one must have had some type of small trait of lie that they didn't take care of. A small lie that they became accustomed to. Whether it's, Lying to their wife that they're gonna be on time, or lying to their kid that they're gonna buy them a present, or lying to uh their customer, whatever it is, small thing. I'm not talking about these people who are criminals their whole lives. Obviously there was something something special if they were Talmudim of a Sami Salam to a certain extent at least. I'm sure some of them were decent people. So how do you go from decent to being literally a criminal? You leave one bit of your lies unanswered that means that unbeknownst to you the satan has you in handcuffs and he's only gonna pull you in a direction that he wants when he wants and he may wait for you for years until he pulls and when he does there's nothing a person can do about it why you had all the time in the world to relieve yourself you had the key in your hand to remove this life from your life you chose not to the handcuffs get stronger and stronger within time so here we see rabotay that the trait of of falsehood is very expensive so much so that literally could bring a person to a point where they could become accustomed and okay with something that logic and even their former self and when they're in their good ways would never agree to such a thing it's important for a person to stay away from lies and that's what the Torah says about lies unlike any other sin the torah says on lies to stay away from it when it says don't violate shabbat it says don't desecrate the shabbat don't eat certain animals like pig and camels and rabbits and all the non-kosher animals don't do this and don't do that don't serve idols but when it comes to lies the Torah doesn't say don't lie it says from a thing of lies stay away from meaning it's not enough to just not lie but rather stay away from lies don't just think it's enough just to not lie you also have to stay away from lies stay away from liars you can't be a person of truth if your friends your leaders your co-workers your your everything that you're involved in, in your life everybody else is a liar if it's within your control you have to make sure it's true some things are beyond your control you, your boss is beyond your control your your uh uh you know your uh I don't know your uh, manager is beyond your control but there are things that are within your control how you build your house how you educate your children how you live your marriage how you are to your customers how you are to your partners how you are to your colleagues how you are to the world around you has to be true because within your control now sometimes people are say listen, I'm honest, but I have this friend that yeah he cheats in his business, him and his other friend you know we, we grew up together, the three of us they have a uh, you know dishonest business, but you know listen, we're still friends. no, that's not good. why? Because your friendship somehow justifies their lies if you don't rebuke them, if you don't tell them that they're living a lie that they're taking advantage of people that they're doing things that are evil you're not being a friend you're being a partner to the crime that's what the Torah says stay away from lies don't just not lie stay away from lies stay away from liars and it goes much much further which we will expand on Bezalot Hashem next week as this particular lesson about truth and the expensive price of lies is expanded upon by our own dear, the Chazonish, in his series of Jewish ideology, Hashem, until then, we will have the motivation and inspiration to spend the next week only saying the truth, and if it's not true, don't say it. Be'ezot Hashem, will all succeed in saying the truth and see the benefits of doing so by the next time we see each other. Thank you for learning with me. May Hashem bless each and every single one of you. We have another shiur coming up on Tuesday night about Jewish intimacy and then Be'ezot Hashem, the questions and answers on Wednesday night. So Hashem, we'll see each other again later this week. Hashem bless each and every single one of you. And remember always, the truth is what a kadosh bohu signs as his name, and a person that sticks to the truth, he's sticking with Hashem. It's a person that sticks to lies is disconnecting to us from Hashem. Chas we don't want to be disconnected from Hashem.